Hello and welcome to the latest uh, Forever Blue podcast. Uh, I'm Ian Cheeseman, your host, and I will be joined by three City Fam guests, as you, and I will introduce you to those in just a moment. But first of all, just let, let me say that um, this podcast is sponsored by Charles Louis, who are an advisory business, the Charles Louis Group. Uh, they advertise, um, advise, sorry, on development finance, mortgage advice, and estate agency. They started out life as a simple mortgage company offering buy to let, first time buying, and moving home mortgages. They now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agent and an expert uh, commercial finance team and a renowned mortgage team. So if you need any advice, give them a call. Their website is very easy to find, charleslouis.co.uk. I've mentioned it loads of times um, and I can recommend them. And I wouldn't recommend them if I didn't think they were very, very good and very sincere. And if you get onto the website, not only do you get loads of information, but there's also a telephone number on there if you want to give them a call. They are local to the Manchester area, but I'm sure if you're anywhere else in the UK, uh, they could help you out as well. Uh, if you get onto them, tell me a load about them on Forever Blue podcast and wish him an happy festive season. Now, I'm going to start by um, by giving my own views on, on what's happened in the last 24 hours, which, of course, is the uh, cancellation or postponement of the Everton versus City game. Um, now, I, I've just written a column which people who follow me on Twitter or social media may well have read, so I'm not going to read out what I've said. But essentially, my view on football within a pandemic has not changed from day one. I am a professional sports journalist. I have been for a long, long time now. Admittedly, uh, during this pandemic, most of my income has disappeared. Um, obviously, at one time I was doing work for City, uh, but that, that stopped um, doing vlogs and, and whatnot. I still do a little bit of work. I do a weekly programme on Tameside Radio, for which I'm very grateful, and uh, some columns. And, and, and actually, just recently, I've started uh, doing some, some work for um, Sony Sports in India, uh, where uh, we, they cover the, uh, the Champions League, and I believe maybe even the FA Cup. And so I'm very grateful for that. But most of my income has gone, but I am still, at least for now, a sports journalist. But I'm also a fan, a City fan. I have been home and away. 45 years um, obsessed. Um, so I love football. But as soon as this pandemic hit, uh, it was such a serious thing that I personally believe that football um, should stop. Uh, it did, of course, for a while. And there was a lot of tribal City fans, which I'm not condemning. Um, it's part of the world we live in, saying that the season last season should have been null and voided. I didn't agree with that. I felt that what should have happened was that football should have been suspended uh, I always felt that um, a vaccine, something like that, would be the only end goal to this. I was always fairly confident. I know it sounds easy in hindsight to say that that might happen after about a year or so, which it turns out it has done. And uh, my original hope was that we would resume the season sometime in March so that we could just finish it off and effectively just miss a season out. And I've never changed my view of that. Um, obviously, the season was finished in the summer, albeit in a very artificial way, but those who enjoy watching on TV hopefully got some benefit from that. I don't particularly enjoy watching the games on TV and I've chosen, um, rightly or wrongly, um, not to watch anybody else at the moment on TV. It isn't my cup of tea to watch games on TV, uh, but I've never has been really, but especially without crowds in this situation. I watch the City games purely from a professional point of view, so I can still host this podcast and still talk, hopefully, about City with 
uh, a level of, of experience and expertise, but I understand that everybody has uh, different views. So here we are now seeing a resurgence of the pandemic and games being cancelled like the game at Everton and on other games I'm sure that will come along. And as I'm sitting here now, there apparently are talks uh, between the chairman of, of the Premier League clubs and other clubs in the AFL about maybe suspending the season for a couple of weeks or or whatever. Nobody really knows what's coming now. Um, but I've, I've never... Um, particularly wanted the football to continue but of course it does so I continue on to do my work and, and just to say this as well if the City game at Chelsea this weekend doesn't go ahead then we'll have a rest from the podcast for a week until football resumes again um, because well there's not going to be an awful lot new to say um, so that's my view um, the three guests on the podcast tonight may have completely different views you may have a completely different view and I welcome that because I don't profess to be right. I profess just to have a view. Um, now, Adam, who is a relatively new member of the Forever Blue squad, is with us tonight. You may remember him being part of the City Matters Committee. He's no longer part of that now, uh, but he is a City fan, a proper City fan. Um, and when I say proper, that's not meant in any insult to any other City fans. But, um, you know, he's been a, a dedicated fan. Um, we've also got Amy, who you may well know, who's been part of the squad now for a while, and the omnipresent Harlan, who um, came to the fore when I launched my vlogs two or three years ago, and I haven't been able to shake him off since. So that's the lineup tonight. You've heard my my rant. Um, I want to know what your view is, and don't be frightened to express the opposite view if, you, if that's the way you feel. Let's start with you, Adam. Um, what do you oh, feel about it all? Two things I certainly agree with you on, really. One is that um, I don't understand why why football considers itself an exception. Um, I feel like they've, I don't know. I feel like it's, I don't know how they've managed to pull off the trick of making us think it's normal in these times. Like when you say every theatre and restaurant and pub is having to close, that, you know, people are playing football. It's, uh, it's, it's it doesn't make sense to me. And then on a, on a wider point, um, I get quite angry at the the pandering of the of the the game towards the television viewer rather than the match going fan, and I've, I've been feeling that. I'm sure a lot of match going fans feel that way. But uh, it it started to really annoy me once once VAR came in that there was you would just be in the stadium and you would know nothing about what was going on, but the TV commentators would know more than everyone in the ground, and that was already starting to feel like a bit of a last straw for me when it when it came to continuing to attend matches and. The fact that it started up again this year in the middle of a pandemic, I think, is is the last straw for me. And actually, I don't think I'll be going back. Really? Mm. Wow, that's quite a strong statement. I mean, I honestly don't know whether I, once normality comes back, I'll just go back to being as I was before. I hope, in a way, that that's how I will be, because it's been such a part of my life for such a long time. Um and I, and I really can't predict it at the moment, but you're, that's that's a very strong feeling that you have then, Adam. It's, yeah, I mean, like you say, when it comes back, I might change my mind, but that's pretty much how I've been feeling since March. And it's pretty much what informed my decision to step away from the City Matters group, really, is that I didn't feel I should stay if I wasn't intending to renew my season ticket. See, I, I'm a little bit scared to express the view that I've got and and wonder whether... You know, one of the reasons why I'm not longer doing the vlogs, for example, for City is because uh, this is perceived to be a negative view and, and being all happy and jolly and saying everything's great is what 
what everybody wants to, to see. And then maybe people listening to this now who think, what a depressing podcast, don't want to listen to it anymore. Well, that's fine. That's their option. Um, I'm not trying to say things to be popular or, or to say what I think everybody wants me to say. I'm just being honest. And and uh, that's what all I've ever been, really, in terms of analysing the football or talking about the fan experience. Um, how do you feel, Amy? I mean, you know, am I, am I being a bit too negative and down about this come on give it give us give the podcast a lift um I mean obviously I've said before you know I not only go to football I go to concerts I go to the theater um I've had a couple of concerts cancelled because of covid um you know it, football has always been my, my life I've always supported city um I will want to go back because, you know, I love going watching the boys. Yeah, VAR is a piss take. It really is. But I could never not, you know, I could. I understand where you're coming from, Adam, but I could never, ever not go back. Um, but as a safety thing, I think it should have been cancelled till we was allowed to go back properly. Um, I was furloughed in March, like probably the majority of everybody was. Um, I didn't know whether I'd be going back to work because nobody knew. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And then, um, like I said before, I enjoyed the break. I enjoyed the time off because it came at the right, in a weird way, it came at the right time for me. I needed the break. Um, so when it come to being able to go back to work in July, we were in like little bubble groups. So... That was nice because you got to spend more time with your, ch with your key children and things like that. But like I say, football should be, you know, why, like Adam said, why, why is that, why does that uh, become the be all and end all for everybody when, like you've said, people have lost the jobs, pubs, clubs, everything, you know, hotels. You know, holidays have been cancelled. Like, you know, I lost a holiday. Probably like the majority of people lost a holiday. And yeah, it might sound selfish because these are what, you know, oh, so what, you lost a holiday. So, but these things make you happy. And you, you know, you end up working for working, not working for, tight, you know, for, for pleasure. And at the moment, that's what it feels like because there's nothing, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So you go to work, you come home, and you're like you're in the same four walls all the time. So when football is able to come back properly and we're able to go, I will be going back because I need that time out. I need that break. And I say football's not just football. It's a social thing as well to be able to go back and see your friends and the people who you've, you know, you've become part of a little group with and to watch the boys as well. So I do want to go back, but I do feel like, it should have been stopped from like from last season and just waited till everything was back to normal. I mean, maybe I've been affected by the loss of, of my father because he was in a care home because he had uh, dementia. And obviously um, for the last few months of his life, because he passed away in September, um, I didn't have that tactile contact with him anymore. And then I, I saw him go over a cliff and I saw him give up and, I actually find it quite difficult to watch the football now and see people being happy, smiley, hugging each other, high-fiving um, and thinking, 
why is that allowed? What, how come I couldn't have a test of some description? And even now it's not really, it's not really happening. And going and, and see my dad. Yeah, I lost my grandma. I mean, she didn't die of COVID, but she died on her own. She died of a massive heart attack. She had to go in the ambulance on her own and she died in hospital on her own. That's that's no way to die. Like, that's just the dignity of it, of, you know, like my granddad had, had dementia and, you know, fortunately he died before all this, but I've lost my grandma and granddad within the space of a year. My dad's lost his mum and dad within the space of a year. And not being, you know, not being able to go and see them both or not being able to go and see my grandma. I couldn't even go to a funeral. Like there was only three, in, in Tameside at the time, there was only so many people allowed and a whole family wasn't allowed to go to her own funeral. Like, you know, it's just, it was just disgusting. Like absolutely disgusting. And I say, it's not just about football, is it? It's about everybody's lives, how, it, how it's affected people. Alan, you may have a different uh, view to all this. Um, let, let's see yours. No, I just, I just want to make it clear to, to obviously Adam, Amy, yourself, um, and everyone listening tonight, because you know, like you said, people switch off if they want to, people stay on if they don't want to. Uh, sorry, if they want to. Um, I think for a lot of people that know me, I just like to introduce this this way, and a lot of people that know me from from whether it be Twitter or from watching me on the vlogs or the podcast, it's easy for sometimes. Sorry, it's easy sometimes for people that don't know you to kind of maybe get a, a character in their mind of you or, or a, like a representative figure of you and, and kind of hold that, that kind of ideology of what you're like. And I think for me, because I'm 27, I'm, I'm pretty young. And, um, you know, when I was on the vlogs at the start, I was maybe giving opinions that other people weren't. Um, but I also like, you always say, study the game, look at things in depth, quite analytical and that kind of thing. To some people that might not be up their street. But other people might think that I'm the person that comes on the podcast and says the things against the grain, maybe, that other people are too scared to say, whether it be about performance, whether it be about COVID, whether it be about anything else. But I just want to say, you know, I, I, I've, been, I've been to university. I'm educated. I've done a lot of reading this year. I've done a lot of research. I've, I've read things and I've, I've, I've not just kind of believed everything I've heard and, and watched things and believed that face value. And I've got my own... I've got my own views now at the moment and I've had them all, all year. And, and I, you know, I, I just want to make it clear that what I say next isn't, it's not to be misinterpreted. You know, if you want to interpret it wrongly, then, then do that. But, you know, just as a bit of a disclosure statement here, I'm just going to say some things that like you said, Ian, if you don't agree with them, that, that's, that's up to you. But the way I see it right now is that yes, football is still going ahead and other things aren't. And I am annoyed at that because I'm missing out on, seeing people are missing out on doing things. And I think Christmas has given people that, that small reminder of what it's like to be able to do things normally again. And it's almost been kind of a, I don't know the way that Christmas day, you know, it was touted that there was going to be five days of, of rejoice and then Christmas day, it was limited to one. And I think that what's almost happened with Christmas day is that, that, that I'll, I'll say the government in a sense, the carrot's been dangled. And then it's been taken away again. And I, I can see something happening now within the next couple of weeks where we end up going into a lockdown again or something. And, and, and everything that we've experienced over these last couple of weeks is, is taken away again. And it almost becomes like it never happened. And I also think that the, the, the way that that's been done, can we honestly say, any of us here or anyone listening, that we didn't anticipate that after Christmas Day being allowed to see each other, 
and have people round, knowing that footballers that had trained in the morning would go and see fellow football players or see their family members or something like that or gather with people that are close to them and then expect this this virus not to travel. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there was a responsibility there when they allowed people to visit each other that I personally believe consciously they knew that this virus would spread again and that it's almost kind of like now it's we're, we're all supposed to be shocked. We're, you know, it was shocked again now that this has happened and the game got called off. It's not shocking because I could see it coming a mile off. I think everybody could deep down. They knew it was going to happen. We were all allowed to see each other on Christmas Day. Uh, footballers were obviously going to be seeing their families and close friends. And yes, they're footballers. And on the flip side, they have a responsibility more than, say, me or you or Amy or Adam to keep themselves a lot safer than other people because there's a lot riding on them playing. There's a lot riding on them performing. They're paid a lot of money. They should take more care of themselves and they should, they should, you know, they are the players. But at the same time, from a humane perspective, they are human beings and they want to, they want to experience what we're experiencing at Christmas. The difficult thing for me is that it's almost like I'm not shocked that the game got, got postponed. I was shocked when it happened, but I knew that there would be games being postponed within the next couple of weeks because it was just always going to be that way. The inconsistency this year, the way things have been, been dangled and then taken away, the inconsistencies with lockdowns and out of lockdown and then the, the tier systems and the fact that fans have been allowed to go back in London and then the spread ended up becoming more apparent again. And then you were letting fans in grounds and then, then you take the fans out the ground and we were never allowed to go in the ground. There's been that much done this year that seemed as if it's been made up as they've gone along that I'm just up to here with it. And you might say, oh, he's young, he doesn't... No, it's, it's an opinion that I think many people hold and many, many people are scared to, 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 to make clear. And I understand completely where Adam's coming from with regards to maybe not wanting to go back. And I get on completely where you're coming from with regards to the fact that you were were hoping that football may have been culminated and then restarted when it was safe to do so. And I get the fact, from Amy's perspective as well, like you probably agree as well, that there's been lots of other things this year that in everyday life are probably more important than football. But I go back to what I said when you asked me the question in summary, and I needed football back. I needed it back. My mental health would have struggled without it. I'd have struggled not being able to go and do my radio show on a Thursday night. I'd have struggled having to do radio from home because you need, you need contact with people. You need to be able to do things that you enjoy doing. You're not being able to go to a theatre. Amy's not being able to go to a theatre. We're not being able to go to the game. But just having it there, for me, is just being a comfort. And I get that for some people, that might not be important to them. But I've needed the football back. So on that side, I'm happy it came back. And I'm more than happy to continue watching it behind closed doors until it's safe to do so. But for it to go again, that would probably affect me. And you might go, oh, he's going to be affected by football. There's people dying. I get that. I'm not thinking about it that narrow-mindedly. But at the end of the day, life, we've got to get back to normality. Somehow Paul said it in the podcast a couple of months ago. We have to get back to normality. And I just, con I, I just see this continuing in and out, in and out, shake it all about, do the okey-cokey, and we'll just end up back in the same place again. I, I, I'm sorry I've gone on a bit, but there's a few things I've mentioned there. And I, it's just, you can probably imagine, it's all very confusing at the moment. I respect that view very, very much so. And I'm very aware of the mental health side of this as well. And I can see that a lot of people, and you've perfectly illustrated that, have benefited from the games being played. 
Now, I might feel slightly different about the return of football had the players agreed to go into um, sort of almost camps where they were completely isolated in bubbles. And you might say, well, that's not, you know, not, not great because, you know, they should see the families, etc. Well, I'm sorry, but in, if you want to play football and you want to earn particularly big salaries at the top end of football during a pandemic, then I think it's it, the price to pay for that would be that, that players go into complete isolation. So if the whole of the city squad, they've got the facilities at the, at the, at the Etihad, for example, for them to live there. They could basically live there. So if those players were completely isolated and all their support staff were completely isolated and that was replicated around the other 19 Premier League clubs and then they went to a stadium and the only people that they mixed with were other people in the same types of bubbles, I could accept it more readily. But the fact is that the players go home to their families. We saw also pictures with um, Sergio Aguero and um, Fernandinho and all the rest of them posing with the families. That's where the problem is, that you're spreading it through your families. And if you are a footballer and you have a small child and they're the perfect age to have small children, those small children are mixing at school in, all right, in bubbles, but schools and universities at the moment seem to be the super spreaders to me. Um, not deliberately, but, but that is just the reality of life, that then the asymptomatic spreading comes from the child to the, the father, who then gives it to another father. Neither of them are badly affected by it. Then it goes to another child, and then it gets into the stream that way. That's where I have the problem. Now, you know, army people, uh, navy people go away for nine months at a time. You know, you have to make sacrifices. And I don't want to make this about the money, but footballers in the Premier League, you know, are generally on a lot of money. Yeah. And if somebody said to me, you know, I'll pay, uh, I don't know, 30 grand a week. Let's go for a very, very modest fee uh, for nine months, 30 grand a week. But you've got to spend the next nine months away from your family because there's a pandemic going on then I'd have a decision to make. And uh, in my position, I'd probably take that because that would secure my family. Um, a footballer might argue that for that type of money, um, they've already got enough in the bank and it doesn't matter. That's a different decision. That's up to them. I'd feel happier then. And that, that's, that's where I'm coming from, I suppose. The thing that rankled me, though, I think, was the fact that it was money that it was money that was used as the rationale for starting it up again. It was if we don't finish the season, we're going to have to pay all this money back to the TV companies, and that shouldn't have been the that shouldn't be the driver for whether it's safe to play football or not. Absolutely, um, you know, and Newcastle are still sitting on a load of season ticket money from fans, aren't they, from last season? I mean. City did the right thing. They gave they gave the money back for the end of last season, but they still took it in the short term. They still took money out of people's bank accounts for games that they knew weren't going to take place. And it's just this whole this whole obsession with money is, is really what turns my stomach, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean I know it's sorry. On, I know it's, I know it's I know it's totally different. Are you saying about bubbles? Um, we was discussing Strictly the other day. All them people that were on Strictly left their families. They all went, all the contestants, so all the celebrities went and lived on their own, in their own bubbles, in their own houses. All the dancer, professional dancers left their families. They went living in separate places in their own bubbles. So they knew that they were only being with their dance partner. And then they went back to their like little separate things. Like they all made their sacrifices. So that, you know, 
dancers are on pretty good money as well. Obviously, not as much as a footballer is, but you know they'll be getting quite a few, you know, dollars, and they manage to sacrifice themselves to be able to put on the show. All right, I know it's totally different, but it's still for people's entertainment, and they and they kept their families safe. Every one of them had a COVID test each week to make sure that they're thing, and if anything happened, they were kicked off the show. So, like, Nicola Adams and uh, Katia Jones were kicked off the show because Katia got COVID. So they were able to keep themselves safe away from their families, so it can be done. Ian, just just as a pointer here, obviously, because I know that, that I'm not saying Adam and Amy won't, but I know you go to a lot of non-league games and you go to Oldham and you go to, you know, Bury, well, you did go to Bury, etc. And it's one of them for me where... I think that especially on the on the pod, it's, it's city orient, you know, orientated and whatnot. But as a broader footballing discussion and a COVID football discussion, I get exactly what you're saying there, and we've got the facilities to do that. But have Oldham Athletic got the facility to do that? Have they got the finances that would allow their players to self-isolate within a confined, you know, club kind of environment? And you know, it's almost as if, like, all right, City. It's it's like that. That it's we're we're a, we're a high profile elite club. Um, Oldham Athletic. You almost see it still as a. It's, it's a professional club, but it's a community club. So they've not got the the, the money and the, the finances that would allow them to to cater for their players in the same way that 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 Sheikh Mansour would be able to allow our board to cater for ours. Um, nor have they got the facility for it. So I get I get what you were saying, and I, and I and I and I honestly believe that for the money that the players are on, and the profession that they want to continue in, that the sacrifice to make um, wouldn't have been unrealistic. But at the same time, does that mean that EFL Championship, League One, and League Two, unless you're a club that can afford to pay for their players to isolate, um, have to be completely terminated for forevermore until until this eventually decides to put its shoes on and run off. So it's, it's one of them, isn't it? Like, you know, I get the proposal and I think that in an ideal world, if the Premier League could go back, look at things and have maybe a month or two to, to think things over and think how things could be better done, then yes, I think that would be a, a fantastic way of doing it. But like Adam said, that was never, that was never the mentality. And, and the one thing that I always try to get across to people on the pod is that, yes, I want football back, but I'm not happy with the reasons why they want it back. And that's where I'll back Adam up. Yes, I want it back. I want it back because I miss it. I want it back because my mental health would struggle without it. I want it back because I believe that it's something to keep people going through a very, very dark time. But do I want it back so that the people at the top, the pen pushers are getting paid a load of money and we are literally having to watch it compromised at home? No. So I think you can, you can look at it both ways and... Does it mean I'm inhumane for wanting football back? Do, does it mean I'm inhumane now for wanting football to continue? Um, I don't think it does. So it's a difficult one because you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't in this situation, regardless of what Yeah, in the interest of openness, I, I am watching every City game. <laughs> it's not like I'm not watching it. <laughs> mm. And there's another aspect to this. What about the sporting integrity of the sport? Is the sporting integrity, I mean... It's easy for me to say, and anybody that was listening to this who isn't, let's say a Liverpool fan was listening to this, uh, and I'm saying, oh, you know, I, I wouldn't have had the season gone. They, they would assume 
that my motivation for saying that is that City aren't top of the table. So it doesn't matter. Um, and I would maintain that my opinion would be exactly the same. And I still ask the question, what, whilst I completely understand and empathise with what you're saying, Arlen, and I think there will be a lot of people who will have agreed with what you're saying about um, needing something to keep going in these dark times. And my God, it, it has been difficult. Um, but, but why is football special? Why is football any different than the other things that keep people uh, mentally together? Uh, like seeing your relatives, like to some people going to the pub every week might be what keeps their mental health together um, or going to to the theatre or or going to a, have a meal once a week or whatever. Why, why is football so special? I think, I think Ian, I think... It, I know you'll get what I'm about to say, but I think it's because... It's loved by so many, and it's a thing that a lot of people do. You, you know, I'll go right back to the World Cup in 2018. I saw people that I've lived amongst in Bolton for the last eight years, you know, men, women, coming out watching the World Cup. Now, yeah, it's England, and everybody genuinely gets on the, the England bandwagon for a big tournament, but you see people that don't even like football coming out because they want to enjoy the spectacle of what it is. And I think that when you look at it, and it's that it's that go-to thing, it's like, you know, where's your husband? Oh, he's watching the football. Where's your wife? Oh, she's watching the football. And it's like, it's something that you just do, that you've been brought up with, that manifests itself, that brings you unbridled joy. And it, it almost brings me back to where I was last week when I was playing football um, for the mental health charity Love Football. And without being able to do that, we wouldn't be raising awareness for men to go and speak about their their mental health and there wouldn't be an opportunity for men to gather and play football for an hour and talk about how they're feeling so it's almost like yes watching football but also playing it and without playing it for the last couple of weeks before Christmas I would have struggled as well because you're caught up you've got adrenaline you're full of adrenaline I can't let it out watching City at the ground and I can't let it out playing football you know without any funniness what you're supposed to do and I think because football is such a universal language I think it's just something that that people have learned and grown to love and have as part of their everyday life. And therefore, because it's been part of their lives for as long as they've lived, especially yours, Ian, as well, it's difficult to let go of something that without your life would feel alien. Fair enough. Well, listen, we're not, we can't put the world to rights. We've, uh, we've all had, had our say on it. Let's talk about the football then. Um, even though... It hasn't been necessarily the most comfortable thing for me to watch just recently, but again, perhaps I'm the odd one out. But I have been watching the games. I've been watching them in the normal way that I do, analytically, um, perhaps a little bit more detached emotionally than I've been in the past, but I've still watched them analytically. And I thought the Newcastle performance, um, City were in complete control, which was, of course, the last game, um, since the, the only game that's been played since the last, last podcast. Um, a lot has been talking, talked about City's defence being much improved. Uh, John Storms has, has come in for a lot of praise. Um, for some reason now, Merrick Laporte doesn't seem to be playing quite the same level. Um, Cancelo has had an awful lot of praise in the last uh, few days from people. Talk of him being player of the year, etc. Um, so there's a whole load of things that we can uh, talk about there. But um, starting on the Cancelo one, actually... Um, people, a lot of people have said he's the he's been the player of the year. I've seen it phrased by Miles, and yet at right back, which is ostensibly what he is, I'd still pick a fit Kyle Walker. 
discuss. <laughs> yeah, I think he's played really, really well. I, I really, really do. Um, I think he, I think he's done exceptional, to be honest. And I think it's the fact that he goes to, you know, he's like a playmaker, isn't he? Where he makes sure he's getting in there, getting the ball, passing it to someone. Um, you know, at first he was a bit like gungo um and he'd take a shot and it ended up in Wigan you know what I mean but like at the moment he's he's doing all he's doing all right and yeah I love Kyle Walker I'd, I'd you know but I think uh I think Kyle Walker's got a fight on his hands at the moment <laughs> and I think well, even, um, if, even if Walker's going to be right back then Cancelo can be left back or even yeah. anywhere else he seems to be able to play just about anywhere so you're in definitely in the uh, Cancelo <laughs> fan club are you Adam yeah 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 I think he's got the he's got the personality to uh, to influence the game, wherever he is. Alan, you know me. I backed him from the start. I backed him when many didn't. I backed him when people were saying packing back off to Juventus. Um, and 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 the, a lot of City fans that I believe and know are quite knowledgeable about the club and are quite good when it comes to players were saying it. And I was shocked by it. People that were writing him off and saying, "Oh, this guy's just you know he's not good enough. He isn't." You know, the same people that were criticising Walker, but it's one of them where he started off as a right winger cancelo at Real Madrid as a youth player, brought brought back to right wing back. Um, you know, he's been to a few places, Juventus, we signed him, obviously part of the Danilo transfer, and, and, and I knew what we were buying, and now I'm seeing what I saw at Juventus. He overlaps well, he underlaps well, like Amy said, he, he play makes from right wing back, he brings people into, in, in, into, into play, he, 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 one of his one of his trademark things that City fans weren't giving him a large amount of City fans, sorry, weren't giving him praise for, and they were probably probably getting it wrong in a sense where they were saying, "Oh, he's out of position," is that he likes to come into midfield. He likes to he likes to come across the pitch. You'll almost sometimes find him come from right wing back into the centre of midfield, and he'll end up on the left wing, and he'll just somewhat usher his way back over, but. Whoever's in there, whether it be Rodri or Ilkay or someone else, um, Rodri in, in, in the Newcastle game, would, would somewhat cover for him a bit um, until he came back over. And it's just that natural free-flowing football that we play and that free-flowing positioning. But he's, he's pacey, he's quick. Like Amy said, when he got his shooting boots on, he can crack a few. Um, the way that he gets in behind was always something that I knew he would come. And I think the positions that we were most worried about at the start of the season, obviously centre half that's been sorted, um, and our, and our fullback positions with Walker being a bit shaky at the start of last season, Cancelo obviously not being liked by many, and Mendy being written off by a lot as well, um, aren't looking as worrying anymore. And I think there's a lot more to come from Joe Cancelo, and he's that versatile that I believe that if we were looking for another creative midfielder. Um, you could even play him, play him in the middle of the park and, and let him do what he does anyway in games to get Walker back in the team if Mendy was also on fire. So I think that he gives you loads of different options, yeah. How, how did the three of you feel about the uh, the feeling that John Stones is now a first-choice centre-back? I mean, there is no such thing, it seems, in a Pep Guardiola team of a first-choice player. Perhaps Edison is the exception uh, and maybe maybe Kevin De Bruyne, but apart from that, everything else seems to be very fluid uh, and he's a great believer in using his whole squad. So assuming that everybody was fit and we were back to playing regularly again, 
and uh, and COVID wasn't uh, an issue, which I suspect it is going to be in the next two or three weeks. And obviously, we haven't discussed the potential fixture backlog, but for just for the moment, let's just just talk about it as a, in the ideal world. Who would be your first choice centre backs now, and has that opinion changed? I'm a believer that you, if you're playing well, you keep the shirt, and Stones is playing well. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a real big fan of Laporte, but at the moment, I, you know, Stones has Stones has got the shirt, and Stones keeps the shirt until until or unless he does something to merit being dropped or you know being rotated out. Who's your first choice centre back, Amy? Uh, I mean, I I like Laporte as well. I mean, I owe my hands up. I wasn't a big fan of John Stones. I you know I. I watched some t- I mean, a lot of that was because of Bravo, bless him. But I did used to get scared when um, when the ball came to him. I felt I felt like he was a, very nervous at times. Um, whether that was, like you say, you know, he had a lot going on in his personal life and, like, it does affect you. I know they say leave your, your shit at the door, but sometimes you can't. Um, so maybe now that he's sorted in his life, it, it's helping him work better and it's helping him concentrate better. And like, you know, if Pep obviously likes what he sees and if somebody's got confidence in you, you're going to have confidence in yourself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I hope there isn't a like, you know, there isn't a rift like people are surmising with Laporte and Pep. Um, and I hope it is just because John is, do, is doing all right. Um so yeah, I mean, like I say, if John's doing all right, then he, he you know he gets to stay where he is. So him and Diaz seem to working really well together. So that'd be that'd be the way to go. I can't help thinking that at the moment that the secrets of City's defending is actually about the brilliant ball retention they have in midfield, um, and a big part of that, in my opinion, is Ilkay Gundogan, who's not always the most popular player. Um, by City fans, but um, I think I'd use the word magnificent in recent games. Um, he isn't always um, as fast as other players, but in his brain, in his, the way he reads the game, I think he's as fast as anybody. I suspect I might have an ally, in my opinion, on this one from Harlan. Yeah, um, he, what I've just well, I watched Ilkay for the first time in 2012 uh, at Dortmund. Ian. And I thought, what a player he is. And I remember at the time he was linked with United for about 12 months. Uh, he played in the Champions League final against Munich. Just brilliant again. Magical. Scored a penalty against Neuer. Almost won the game for Dortmund. Um, and it, with Ilkay, it's something that I remember me, you and a few of the other podcasters, when we first ever started the Forever Blue podcast, spoke about Ilkay in depth for about an hour, I think it felt like. Um is that he sees the he sees the fourth well, if there was a combination of passes and it was like you know Edison Stones, uh, Ilkay Rodri, Ilkay, um, you know Ilkay Foden and then Aguero, Ilkay Gundogan has already seen that Aguero pass from Foden before he's even played the ball to Foden. He's he's two and three passes ahead. He's always trying to work the ball into a a better area to create a better opening. And it's almost like he's been given the responsibility by Pep to use his own brain. Some of the best players in the world, you know, Perlo, magical brain, Modric, brilliant brain. And you're probably going to say, oh, you can't put Gundogan in the same category as them. Why not? Why not? What? Because he's 
he's a bit less pacey or because he's not Kevin. Um, he's a magical football player. He's, he's he maybe not starting for Germany every time they play now, but if you were to ask Joachim Löw, who is one of his strongest central midfield players over the last 10 years, he'd probably tell you Ilkay Gundogan because he is a magnificent football player. Um, the way that he, he ticks the, 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 you know, I've, I've criticised him at times as well. He gives the ball away a lot um, because he's trying to make things happen. But every time Kevin gives the ball away because he's trying to force things, it almost gets forgotten about. And I think if we're going to, like I always say, if you're going to, if you're going to analyse a player um, for making a mistake, then, then don't give other people free passes when they make a similar mistake. Every player is different, but let's, let's kind of not, well, let's go into 2021 not being as, and I'll take this on as well. But I think that the analysis on Rodri that I've done over the last couple of months has been more than fair. I've said he's a great lad. I like him as a player. I think he'd make a fantastic compost centre-half one day. Not convinced in midfield. But I think we could all learn something this year, and that is that we 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 maybe need to give people a bit more of a break and stop scapegoating people as much. Um, but on the Stones thing, I think John's confident. I think that Pep's given him the licence now to to have another dig. Um, one of the criticisms of John that I had was that when Kyle played with him, he was always uh, very safe because it was his pal. And he always felt that he could play himself out of trouble through Walker, but it wouldn't really get us up the pitch and wouldn't really do anything for us. And he almost seems like he's so much more confident now because he's had time away, like Amy said, to reevaluate. Pep's given him the licence to, to, you know, a new lease of life. And I do think he's playing well. However, I don't think that Laporte, I don't think Emmerich's done anything wrong to not get him a team. I just think, like Adam said, it's one of them where Pep wants to play a back four. If he was playing a back three, all three of them are getting it. And then Nathan Ake will be the one we're talking about not being able to get in the team. So I think it's the fact that Pep's sticking with the back four for now that's stopping him um, getting in the team. But if he was to go to a back three, I think that he'd get in the team and it'd be him, John and, and, and Ruben. But, it's at funny you've seen you've seen more keen to play a back three when we were when we were really short of options at centre half yeah, and now we've yeah, got yeah, yeah. coming out of our ears and I think everyone would like to see it, wouldn't they? I thought that what he did, I thought that's what he was going to do, Adam, if he got mm. Ake as well. I I thought and, and Diaz, I thought he was gonna play a back three and then play Mendy and Cancelo or Mendy and Walker as wing backs, but yeah. like he started with us in, in sixteen, but and seventeen and eighteen. But it's one of them where to get Nathan in the team, he's having to play him to get Nathan Ake in the team, he's having to play him at left wing back or left back. Left back. He's playing a lot of Gundogan and uh, Gundogan and uh, Rodri, getting a lot of flack for both playing the same sort of role. And you know, if you played three at the back, maybe you would you wouldn't need both of those two in playing that role. I know Gundogan's been playing a bit more further forward recently, but first few games of the season it was like this double pivot, whatever they call it. Nobody seems to like that. If you you know, if you play three centre halves, you don't need two defensive midfielders. You would think. Get Foden in the side. <laughs> well, while we're now where we are, which is. In theory, the next game is uh, is in the new year. It's in 2021. Uh, that's the, the Chelsea game, if it goes ahead. Um, but transfer window, of course, opens then. Um, so here we are. Um, Pep has insisted in the press conferences that I've been lucky enough to be part of that he is very happy with his squad, has no intention to, to sign anybody. Today, we're hearing that Diego Costa has ended his contract at Atletico Madrid, so it could be available on a free. Um, obviously, we don't know what the Messi situation is. We've talked about that a lot, whether or not he's going to reveal things in January, whether he seems at the moment to be 
more likely to stay at Barcelona or PSG are, are making noises as well. Nobody knows what's going to happen there. Um, what, what are your views? I mean, even if you've got not got individual players that you identify, that the first question is, is Pep bluffing? Is he right to say that he's happy with the squad? Is this squad, given now that there could be a backlog of fixtures, that there could be, um, you know, League Cup, FA Cup, Champions League and league games to play with this squad, would you like to see it strengthened? If so, where? And have you got any names to throw into the mix? You're the manager now, you three. For me, the only thing really is uh, the long-term replacement for Sergio Aguero. Um, you know, the rest of the squad, I think we're, we're thick with quality everywhere, really. Um, Sergio is a worry now of how much he's going to play at all for the rest of the season. And, and if, if he's carrying on like this, then there's no point in even discussing a, a contract extension. So we're going to have to have a new centre-forward next year. That's it for me. But for now, Adam, you'd stick a bit like Pep's saying, really, with his squad on the basis that, fingers crossed, Sergio Aguero um, into the new year, especially now if he's going to get a couple more weeks without any action, he's going to come back to, to his best for the second half of the season. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if he is or not. I heard. I don't know anything about it, but I'd, I'd heard somebody saying that he has this same problem with Mendy, where his, his knee just keeps blowing up randomly in training. So, who's to say we'll see much of him at all? You know, I hope I'm wrong, but who's to say we'll see much of him at all? As much as I love Jesus, I don't think he is the long-term striker that we need. You know, I think he's he's better out wide. I don't think many people would agree, would disagree with you, Adam, that in the long term, that the Sergio Aguero situation is a concern. So let me pin you down a little bit more now. This season, this second half of the season, um, assuming that it goes smoothly and, and that COVID doesn't stop it or anything, would you want somebody, do you go out and buy a striker? Do you buy a short-term one? Or even when I said buy, obtain a short-term striker like Diego Costa to get you through and, and maybe win something this season? No, personally, I wouldn't. No, no. Right, play, with, you know, play with no strike, play, play Sterling, Torres, these kind of <laughs> players, it's, it's not... Uh, it's not <laughs> Listen, Torres' his record is, is standing up at the moment. Um, he's young. He's, he's, for me, for me, and Pe- Pepper be the first to tell you this, um, if you've watched any documentaries or you've read any books or you've, you've listened to players that he's managed before, young players, they'll tell you that, that Pep has this ability to, to regenerate players and to even move players and, and create new roles for players. And Torres is at, a, at an age, Ian, where he's not, he doesn't have to be a right winger. He doesn't have to be a left winger. He doesn't have to be a number 10. He doesn't have to be a number nine. He can be anything he wants to be. He's young enough. And you know Aguero when he was when he was the golden boy, um, and when I first saw him when he was twenty, Aguero yes he was playing up front for Atletico and his goal record was brilliant. But there'd be times where he'd play out wide or he'd he'd play on the on the left or you'd see him playing you know as a number ten um, with Semau etc in that Atletico that great Atletico squad. And it's one of them where I think Torres could play up front and I think Torres could get us through with Aguero. And there's Zeus until the end of the season. To make a rash sign in January for me would just be, be silly, especially if we've got a long-term um, player lined up for, for summer. We're not getting Haaland in January, I'll tell you that now. I can't see that happening. The messy thing, maybe we'll get sorted in Jan, but you're not going to hear too much clarification until at least July, August time for me. And I think everywhere else, like Adam said, I think I think we're, I think we're, we're brilliant everywhere else. I think 
We've, we've sorted the defence out, which was one of the biggest worries. Maybe in summer, maybe go out and get another, another like proper um, attacking phase and defensive phase, central defensive midfielder. Someone that you know gets us going and can throw a few challenges in just to give Rodri that extra bit of insurance that if he can't fulfil the role next season, that somebody else is there to take the bat on from Fernandinho. But other than that, we're not even getting Torres in the team every week. And like you said, with the amount of rotation, to add more cooks um, to the kitchen for me would, would kind of ruin what we've got going at the moment, which is better form, a better run of form. I thought you were going to say that if you brought any more cooks into the kitchen, it might spoil the broth. But, um... Well, I was going to say that. <laughs> I thought it was too, uh, too uh, ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know you can't face the fact that Sergio might be coming towards the end of his career, uh, but what do you think, <laughs> uh, Amy? Are you, would, would you do a short-term Diego Costa? Do you think City need anything? Are you confident that what they have at the moment will, will see them through to trophies? Not just get through the season, but actually win the Champions League and the Premier League. Uh, I don't fix what's not broke, in my opinion. Like I'm, I know I'm probably like the, of the minority, but I can't stand Diego Costa. I thought he was an arsehole, to be fair. Um, I just don't like him as a as a, and he's probably a thoroughly nice chap. But um, no, I'm not a big fan at all. I'm, I'm no doubt he's a good footballer, but I'm just not a big fan. Um, but yeah, no, I'm. Baggage, I'm Amy, don't he? He I just baggage. don't. Yeah, I just think he's, you know how pe- some people have a have a chip on the shoulder. He's got a full bag of chips on his shoulder, like he's just like a full chippy basically. I just don't, I just don't like him. I just think he's, I don't know. I just, as I say, I think he's. I'm not saying I'm not thinking with he's not being you know not a good footballer, but I just think that he'd be getting sent off every week, so there'd be no point in having him ever, anyway. He'd probably Sorry. score us goals, Ian. He'd probably score us loads of goals. But at the end of the day, what, what comes with that? You know, what extra stuff do you get? At the, the same expense? question was asked about Edinson Cavani, wasn't it? It went to United in the end. You know, he was available at, at nothing. Or, you know, and, and could he make a difference for them this season? And, and that's the question a lot of City fans have been saying. You know, could Costa be the one that gets City over the line to the Champions League? The thing that the club wants so desperately. Um, that, that's why I asked the question, but clearly Amy doesn't fancy it. <laughs> I, just, I just think our team's good, you know. Our t- in, in fairness, our team's always been good enough. There's just something that just, you know, that just didn't, like, I don't know what, you know, confidence or, or pressure or what, I don't know. I think we've, we have got a good team, you know. we it's It goes from strength to strength and... Like Torres is is, you know, I think he'll be all right, and I think he'll, you know, he'll he'll help things, and hopefully, you know, Bowden gets his ass in gear, and like, you know, we can get him on and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I think I think getting other players that are not necessary is just like it's just silly in my opinion. I, I was the same thing about Messi, and I know Messi's amazing, and I'm not saying he's not. And he's a he is a nice person, but I just think that I don't know. We're just it's just silly, just getting people for the sake of getting people. Like, and how long they're gonna play for? Like, how old's 
Costa. He's got to be old. He's got to be as old as me. He's got to be in his like late thirties now. Thirty-three or something. Any thirty-four, thirty-three. He looks older than he looks older than that. But um, you know, Messi's obviously in his thirties as well. It's just I th- just think it was like when we when we bought David Seaman and Pete Schmeichel. Like you know, it's just like John what's the Burridge. point? Yeah, it's like you know what's 43. the point? I agree. I like someone who's getting a few more academy players on, getting some minutes into some of the youngsters anyway. Yeah. And, you know, we've already got Phil Foden, can't get a league game really at the moment. Uh, everyone's forgotten about Zinchenko. I know he might not be a world beater, but he's a solid player. He never gets a game. Um, you know, we, we don't need we don't need endless amounts of new players for sure. I don't think. What do, what does signing um, what does signing Diego Costa do to Liam Delap's confidence here? Because from what I've gathered, I know he's got a bit of a temper. We're going to go and sign someone else with a temper. Um, the lap's thinking, well, I've got that bit of bite. I've got that bit of bite that Pep might need. Why is he going out and getting Diego Costa? Why is he going out and get, you know, that wouldn't be good for him. At the same time, he's got the height, he's got the build, he's got the desire. I know, like you said, he's probably, he's got that bit of bite that's probably going to get him a couple of yellow cards in his future City career or wherever he ends up. But um, from what I've gathered, he's scored quite a lot of goals. He's been performing well for the, for the, uh, for the under-23s and under-21s. So, I think if you go out and sign another striker now, why not give Delap that insurance position till the end of the season and say, if Aguero can't play, like Adam said, you're next in line. You're going to rotate with with Ferran and Gabriel, or we might play two of you up top, big and small, Torres off Delap, something like that. There's no need to start adding Costa to the mix now. It's just going to it's going to rub people up the wrong way. It's going to, like Adam said, limit our our chances of allowing youth players to break into the first team. And like Amy said, he's an absolute sponge, so we don't need him. I mean, oh, like against against yeah. Newcastle, there once once we were two up, they were up, they were just offering nothing really, and the, the, you know there had to be a chance there to get somebody like Delap on there for just for 10, 15 minutes, just regular, you know, turn them over, give them minutes, give them experience, <laughs> and then and and be able to make a judgment on them in the long term as to whether they're the real deal or not, because <laughs> you can only tell so much from the training field, surely. Yeah, but absolutely. Pe- very much likes the, the pecking order, doesn't he? Until you're in the first team, I don't think you can really judge. I mean, I'm a huge fan of uh, Liam Delap, uh, but I've only seen him play basically at junior football level. And until you're actually playing in the first team, it is very, very difficult to make that final assessment. And it, of course, it's in the head, isn't it? If he can cope in the first team at this level, then he could be a hell of a player. Or it might be that he just goes over the cliff and he never quite makes it. But we won't know until he's given that opportunity. Well, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna call it a day now on uh, this particular <coughs> podcast. Um, uh, obviously, I, I would say absolutely from the bottom of my heart that I hope all the players that and indeed staff at City and yeah. any other club that are affected by COVID make full and, uh, you know, proper recoveries quick and healthy and everything like that, because that's more important than anything. Even winning, or, or it doesn't, doesn't matter about that. Just just get back healthy. And uh, whether you agree with the view that I expressed about at the beginning, the fact is that for now at least, football does continue, even though it's become a little bit stop and start because of the, the outbreak, uh, the new strain and all the rest of it. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, they are rolling out the, the vaccine and hopefully by Easter... You know, we'll, we'll be in a much better position, not just as uh, football fans, but as a country and as the world. And uh, an eye for that, for one, can't wait for that. And hopefully that things will start to return to normal by then. But I think we've still got a, 
a tough couple of months to go before we get to that point. Um, thanks very much to Adam, to Amy and to Harlan. Thanks very much to you for listening. Thanks very much to Charles Louis Group, the advisory business, of course, advise on development finance, mortgage advice and estate agency. Look them up, www.charleslouis.co.uk. Give them a bell if you need some advice. Um, in the meantime, have a, a good new year, transgression into the, the new year. Obviously, we'll all be in our bubbles, no doubt. So um, it'll be all by Zoom or, or phone calls or whatever, apart from the people you live with. But stay safe. And I mean that. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Let's come through this and let's get on the other side of it and get back to, to, to being with a smile. And, and even though I sound a bit down sometimes because of what I've gone through and where we are at the moment, um, I, I can't wait to be smiley and happy and bouncy and jolly and, and just singing the praises of this magnificent football club that I have loved and supported all my life. And as I always say, and even in these um, slightly difficult times, you know what? It's great to be a blue. <laughs>